Welcome back to another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast with your host Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today. We're going to do a full breakdown of the Maryland-Purdue game where Maryland came very close to an upset, but obviously didn't put all put it pull it off in the end. And then we're going to go uh, preview Wisconsin's coming up tonight. Uh, Maryland will be playing Wisconsin at home, and we'll give you an overall big picture of where Maryland stands in the tournament uh, rankings, the Big Ten standings, and all that. But first, Ben, how are you? Doing well, Sam. It really has been a roller coaster season. I know, know we're saying it every week at this point, but Sunday against Purdue, an encouraging performance. Um, one that, you know, maybe they could have snuck out, but we'll get into that and and you know, a lot to get into with Wisconsin tonight and then moving forward with the rest of the schedule as well. Yeah, encouraging in the first in the second half, because the first half was anything but encouraging, it was the same old Maryland that we've seen in the first halves of all their Big Ten row games this year. This loss to Purdue, while it was an expected loss, they were they were nine point underdogs. I think the line closed at uh, playing at Purdue on the road, a really tough place to play at Mackey Arena, but they're 0 and 5 on the road now after that loss to big uh to Purdue in the Big 10. That that's 0 and 5 on the road in the Big 10. They're 3 and 5 overall. Their three wins are all at home. The 3 and 0 at home, 0 and 5 on the road. It's really hard to win on the road in this conference anyway, but Maryland makes it so much more difficult for themselves with their incredibly slow, really offensive starts um to get off to that they get off to. Like at halftime, Maryland was up by 14, 35 to 21. Maryland only scored 21 points in the first half. It was it was ugly. Um, it was a typical Maryland offense performance that we've seen on the road. You saw it at Michigan, of course. You saw it at Rutgers. They were better against Iowa. Um, you saw it Wisconsin back uh, over a month ago at this point. But it was another ugly start on the road. And, of course, they flip it around completely and, and win the second half by 11 points and almost win the game. Uh, but it wasn't enough because of another really bad uh, start they got off to offensively on the road. Yeah, it was, you know... The, the bad starts offensively on the road are, are certainly one thing. I, I think fans probably don't have a terrible taste in their mouth, and I don't think the the team does either. I think they got to be encouraged with what they saw in the second half on the flip side. But, look, in the first half, things were not looking good when they were down what was Purdue's largest lead. Um, where is it here? 16, I think Six, they were up by one. Largest lead, 27-11 with 9-14 left in the first half. So, you score 11 points in 11 minutes and you're kind of thinking, oh, this is the same old problems that they've had on the road, like bad trends, getting off the, to bad scoring starts, a lot of scoring, uh, a lot of scoring droughts and, and, you know, not being able to put the ball in the, in the basket, especially from three point range. And you can really add on to that. Julian Reese and Cal Swanton Roger both had two fouls within, I don't know, the first ha- half of the first half, like, and when when Callum came in to relieve um, Julian, he picked up two thousand, I think, forty seconds, or, or or maybe even less than that. And Patrick Emilian was playing, but only played six minutes. I mean, with that ankle, I I don't imagine he was healthy. The fact that Julian was able to stay out of foul trouble for the rest of the game, which we'll get into his performance and and how he went against the National Player of the Year front runner in Zach Eady, but. To go down 27-11, regardless of, of how well you play in the second half, regardless of how well you respond coming out of the locker room, it's a really tough hole to dig yourself out of. And and yeah. I'm happy we started there, kind of get the, the the negative aspect of that game out of the way first because yeah. you look at because... all these road games and it, it it's really becoming a trend like that. Purdue, Iowa, Rutgers, Michigan. like it's Even Wisconsin, it, it, they started really yep. slow and came back. But 
no, I mean, it's 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 absolutely right because it's we're going to start with the negative. And it's not, and there were a lot of positive from this game, but this is a trend that we've seen on the road all season. And we're going to talk about later on the show that they have a big home stretch coming up. The majority of their games to finish the season are at home, which is good for them because of how much they've struggled on the road. But Willard said it after the Michigan game. He said his guys, he thinks that they're a little rattled on the road to start tough environments um, on the Big Ten. Willard isn't necessarily used to the Big Ten scheduling and the Big Ten environments um, in a way, even though he obviously is more. But there were a lot of positive to take away, but it's really just the trend of, of this team's start. It's it's poor offensive performance. They go get away from their offensive identity, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's the defensive intensity isn't even near up to its caliber that we see on at home and what we saw in the second half against Purdue. But in the second half, it was a complete flip of the script. Like They, they looked really good, really energetic. And this was a Purdue team. That was number three in the country. What are they right now? Number one in the country, I think, in the AP poll? Number one now, yep. They're number one in the country. They may be a little overrated in a lot of people's eyes, but they're the, clearly the best team in the Big Ten and, and the favorite in the Big Ten. And Maryland battled with them, which 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 is really impressive considering of how bad they've been on the road, but also the fact that Maryland's sitting at three and five in the Big Ten right now, kind of towards the bottom of the standings. And it was, it's not really relevant at all, but it was eerily similar to Maryland's game last year against Purdue. At that point, it was later in the year, it was like February 17th, but Maryland was like all the way at the bottom of the Big Ten stands. I think they were 3-10 and 10 in the Big Ten, but they were on the road at Purdue at Mackey Arena against, again, Purdue was the number three team in the country at the time, and they took them really to the buzzer. They ended up losing by one, but they were down three uh, late in the game. Purdue fouled up three, sent Maryland to the free throw line, knocked into free throws, and they ended up losing by one. It was an eerily similar feel considering how big of underdogs Maryland was in both games. It's not really relevant, but it is just kind of interesting um, how the success Maryland's had the last couple of years playing at Purdue. But Maryland's going to see this team again at home in, in a few weeks. No doubt. And I, I think that's going to be one that, you know, the the team and Maryland fans probably have circled on their calendar given, you know, Sam, they hit Maryland hit one three in, in the second half, one for 10. And they were within inches, maybe a couple referee calls we don't need to get too too deep into that one but they were a couple breaks away from going into Mackey doing the unthinkable coming down from 16 point deficit coming back from 16 point deficit excuse me and winning that game on the road against the number one team in the AP poll now and the only team in the AP poll that's ranked in the Big Ten the clear Big Ten favorite like you said you you have to be if if that second half is a microcosm of what we're going to see at home in these next three games, you have to be encouraged because it's not even like they, they three point shooting aside, which by the way, you wrote about in your takeaways. It, it's very clear that this team is not a good three point shooting team at all. I think it, it's tough to avoid that uh, slant at this point, but if that continues going forward, I think this team's going to be in good shape. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why it is encouraging because Purdue is really good, but at the same time, they shot horribly. I mean, they shot 15% from three, which is abysmal. And you would think, okay, a team shoots 15% from three. I don't care if you're on the home, if you're at home or on the road, the other team's probably going that game, but Maryland shot 14% from three. It's almost, it's almost hard to fathom how bad of a shooting night it was for both teams, but Maryland also deserves credit for that 15% number. I mean, we talked about the plan against great bigs and against a the national player of your favorite, and unless he gets hurt, there's no way Zach Eady isn't the national player of the year. So they had a great plan against him. And really what it was was they doubled him a lot, but they had him they the plan was we're gonna let Zach Eady beat us, 
we're going to not let everyone else, or excuse me, we're not going to let Zach Eady beat us. We're going to let everyone else beat us and, and make them make plays. Zach Eady at 24 and 16. He, he wasn't great necessarily. He was only 10 for 17 from the field. So they made it difficult on a lot of his attempts by doubling him, but they made it. So all of his baskets were going to be hard and he was going to be forced to kick out to shooters um, to some of the perimeter players, and they really struggled. I mean, like I said, 15% from three, two for 13 for the game. Um, they didn't shoot a ton of them, but that's that's still a very poor number, and no other player for Purdue scored double figures. So the plan was was really solid, and, and we'll talk about Julian Reese's performance, who on both ends of the floor, I thought it was his best game yet, but the, the plan of just making Zach Eady get tough buckets and having forcing him to kick out and make the other Purdue supporting cast beat you, I think that's some of the weaknesses of this Purdue team and why people think they may be a little overrated and maybe in for an early exit in March. But if you just converge on Zach Eady and make everyone else beat you on the board of the makers, they're not going to have a lot of success because it's not a great, it's a solid supporting cast, but it's not great. And Maryland kind of proved that. And, and to their credit, that's why it was such a close game, especially in the second half. Maryland just executed that game plan perfectly. To perfection. I mean, it, it... Ed had 24 and 16, and and Painter said after the game, like, yeah, if if he puts up that stat line, and and you say, oh, it was a decent game, then it shows how great of a player he is. But it, it's true. I mean, it 24 and 16, but it didn't feel truly imposing. Like if you watch other Purdue games, like in the past, like when they played Michigan State, and he there was one guy being sent at him at all times, it felt like he was completely dominant in that game, had a grip on the game from start to finish. Maryland's game plan was excellent. You have to give credit to Julian Reese. I think the fact that he only had he had two early fouls and he was able to play the whole entire he played 34 minutes in foul trouble the entire game. And I mean that's an impressive feat in itself. I think that was something we were really worried about going into the game, not only against Purdue, but going into Michigan and and Hunter Dickinson. And he's kind of, you know, I don't want to say subsided those those fears of foul trouble and not being able to stay on the floor, but He's certainly learned how to manage and has grown up in real time these past two games for sure with that. But but the game plan, like you mentioned, like it wasn't that they were singling or sending one guy to Edie and basically daring everyone else to or, you know, being OK with him scoring 30 points and, and grabbing 20 boards and being OK with everyone else beating him. I think the the zone, the mixture of, of defensive looks they threw at him, it was it was a, a masterclass in how to game plan for a player like that. Because like you said, Sam, they, they they still did dare everyone else to beat him, and it didn't really happen. Braden Smith had eight. Fletcher Lawyer had seven. Those were their two second high scores. And you look at a guy like Caleb first, he had six, but he's 6'10", too. Like, he's their four-man, and he's still taller than, than Julian Reese. So um, I think the game plan worked to perfection. Whatever was said at halftime, I'd love to know, um, because a, a flip definitely switched there. And um, I think led by Julian Reese, that, that effort defensively on Edie, and even offensively, like, Juju attacked him like he he was not as, he was not afraid to go at Edie. I think he had the, he had the the one layup where he went into him. He had a fadeaway like hook shot over him. It, it was it was certainly impressive on both ends of the floor. And I think teams will probably learn from that game plan against Edie. Yes, you're okay with him recording 24 and 16, but it didn't really feel like it was in a truly dominant fashion. Yeah, a couple things. First, the game plan um, on Edie is like. Yeah, they, they did it really well, and it is kind of a blueprint for a lot of other Big Ten teams to look at what Maryland did well. And Maryland's going to see this team again, so they need to do it. They need to kind of have a similar game plan. But at the same time, it's like, is Purdue ever going to shoot 15% from three in a game again? Probably not. 
Like that, that's a horrible number, two for 13 from three. And they really, once they started missing, they really stopped shooting the threes as much. They were kind of focusing on getting to the basket more. So it's a good game plan. But at the same time, if like Purdue hits three more threes in this game, it's not even a game. It's probably more on the verge of the blowout that a lot of people thought it would be. So, so it's a good game plan. But at the same time, like the fact that Maryland couldn't convert or couldn't capitalize on the fact that, that, Purdue shot 15% from three by shooting 14% themselves from three and just 37% from the field overall. It's, it's, it's not a great thing for the, for, for Maryland. And a lot of other teams around the big 10 are going to look at that and be like, Purdue's not really going to shoot 15% from three again. And if they do, I think other teams would be like, I, we have confidence in, in our team to shoot um, better from three. I mean, Maryland's the second worst three point shooting team based on percentage in the entire big 10 Purdue's ninth. So they're not like a great three point shooting team by any means. And that's what I'm talking about when I say Edie's supporting cast isn't great, but they're still shooting, I believe around 32 or 33% um, on average from three, which is a way higher number uh, than 15%. And if they shoot 30% from three in this game, if Purdue does, then it's a completely different ball game. The the other part is Julian Reese. You talked about his his fouls and and playing through foul trouble. It's not just leaving him on the floor through foul trouble, but it's staying aggressive when he has two early fouls or three fouls or even four fouls like he was playing with later in the game. It's it's because a lot of got times when guys get into foul trouble, you you don't remain as aggressive because you want to stay on the floor. But when you're against Zach Eady on both ends of the floor, you have to be aggressive. I mean, he's just going to bully you if you're not aggressive. And he did a great job of remaining aggressive while dealing with foul trouble. But it, but it was his best offense performance, I think, of his entire career, By considering far. the competition. Um, he had 19 points. It was career high in Big Ten games. We've seen him dominate earlier this season. The first five games or six games, I believe, he was averaging. He had double figures every single game. And then he hadn't had double figures until this Purdue game. So he had really been struggling. A lot of that was the coaching staff, whether it's right or wrong, they didn't call a lot of design sets for him. Like, he was rarely screen for to get open on the block. He was really throw given post touches where he was able to operate on his own. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong based on his, his talent level and, and your overall offensive scheme, but we saw him get designed post touches and he was, he was making the most of them against Zach Eady. I mean, he had a couple forced looks um, where there, it was just difficult to, to shoot a uh, jump shot or, a hook shot over a seven four guy, but overall he was eight for eleven from the field, nineteen points. It was it was his best offensive performance, and how aggressive he was offensively, and what we saw legitimate skill moves down on the post. It, it was pretty impressive, and and we saw a jumper for the first time all season. We've talked about it how that jumper from last season, which looked pretty solid, was kind of looked very it looked different but also he wasn't ever shooting them after shooting a few threes last year a few mid-range last year he wasn't ever shooting them this this year we don't know if that was his decision the coaching staff was kind of discouraging from doing that but we saw him shoot a jumper that he knocked down and he was three for three from the from the uh, foul line so overall it was his best performance by far yeah we saw him knock down that that foul uh that mid-range jumper and it was like oh my god where has this been all year and it was it was certainly encouraging to see um, if he can keep that in his arsenal for the, for the rest of the year, it's definitely a bit of a game changer on offense. And I like how you, you mentioned the aggressiveness and, and the sets for Juju. I wonder, you know, part of me is wondering, maybe it's, it's a health thing for him um, as much as it is confidence. And we've talked about his confidence on, on every podcast. And it seems like that's really been growing these past few games, especially, I think, even though he wasn't his best against Michigan, the fact that he was able to stay in the game, um, compete with Hunter, it, 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 it felt like, 
maybe that was a step in the right direction to go against Edie. And maybe he went in, hey, I got nothing to lose here. I'm going against the National Player of the Year front runner, And he really gave it his all. And, and 19 points, like you said, 8 of 11 shooting is is really uh crazy from him to see against a seven foot four behemoth in Edie. It's I I think the confidence is growing, Sam, but I, I think we also have to note, I think maybe that shoulder injury was was a little more serious than we thought. I think Yeah, I think that's even, a good point. Even if it wasn't even if his shoulder was physically hundred percent in these in these past few games before uh this stretch, maybe that confidence in in using his shoulder wasn't because we saw against Ohio State um he took a he took a fall um, and he was grabbing his shoulder, grimacing in pain, and we were like, oh, no, like, here we go again. And he ended up coming back in the game. I wonder if maybe that was a little bit of a, you know, preview of what he was dealing with in terms of being timid and and, and scared to, you know, be 100% aggressive with that shoulder. But regardless, that talks, I think, is, is in the rearview mirror by now. He's playing with aggressiveness, with confidence, and it, with given that Purdue game, the highest level of, of offensive skill we've seen from him in, in, in two years. I know he had that huge game against what um, Coppin state this year over Thanksgiving break, but that's, yeah, that's yeah. not even, that's not even remote. You can't even consider that game when you, yeah, talk a lot about of those that. dominant performance that people were talking about earlier those in the year, why the numbers were inflated was against really weak competition. And all we ever really cared about was like, okay, can he keep this up against good bigs in the big 10? And he kind of struggled for a while, but this was the first time. And he played well against Hunter Dickinson the other night too. This was really the first time we were like, okay, like this is, this is a really impressive performance from him. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I never like the offensive confidence was such like an encouraging sign to see because if you can do it against Edie, you could do it against anyone. And, and look, the Big Ten is, it, you know, they're not going to be short of bigs. You know, you got Stephen Crowell against Wisconsin tonight. Next Tuesday, Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana. You know, you still got to play Purdue again. Uh, you're probably going to play Ohio State with Zed Key in March. Um, I know he got he a little banged up again, but I'm, I'm assuming he'll be back there as well. It's it's certainly something to build on and something that, you know, it's for a team that can't really shoot from three-point range, and, and we've talked about it, it changes the complexion of how the offense looks, and, and it's certainly encouraging to, to see. Yeah, and, and so hopefully, you know, we've seen a lot of inconsistent play from him. Hopefully that's that's the case. That's this kind of the standard that's being set moving forward that, you know, he will get more post touches, and, and he's proven that he can operate with them, and he'll play through that foul trouble in an aggressive way, and hopefully he'll, he'll even diminish that foul trouble a little bit and play cleaner on both ends. But I mean, overall, they they deserve a ton of credit for the resiliency they they showed in their defensive game plan and just fighting back and and it against the third third best team in the country at that point. Now the number one overall. Um, I don't think this Purdue team is even close to the best team in the country. I think they're very overrated. But they still Maryland still does deserve a ton of credit for going toe to toe um and punch for punch against a great team. But with that being said. This offense performance was really bad because this was a really, really winnable game based on how well you played defensively, based on your how you executed your defensive game plan, and just based on how badly Purdue's offense looked and how poorly they shot the ball. Like This was such a winnable game if your offense is better than it was. Julian Reese deserves a ton of credit for that game. But Jameer Young, who's been phenomenal coming off a great Michigan game, and there's not a lot to criticize with him because he's been great. He really struggled. Uh, he finished with 10 points, but he was 4 for 18 from the field and 0 for 6 from 3. And he, didn't score, he didn't score a single point in the first half. Um, so he really struggled. Dante Scott has continued to struggle. He only had 5 points, 2 for 9 shooting um, from, the, from the floor. And then Don Carey as well was 1 for 6 from 3. 
and for his only points, which was, which was three. Hakeem Hart did play well, though. He had 11 points, was five for 12 from three. But it's just the offense, well. was, the offense was so bad. And, and that was the problem, why Maryland couldn't get over the hump. Because if their offense is just a little bit better, they hit a few more threes. Jameer Young's a little more effective in that first half um, as a playmaker, even though he did have seven assists and seven rebounds. But as a scorer, too, and getting downhill, which we'd seen him do a phenomenal job of, of earlier this season, if Maryland's offense is just better than than and didn't lose its offensive identity on the road, then this is a game that they win. And this conversation about Maryland right now is completely different. I don't even think they're on the bubble if, if they somehow pull off this upset. But they didn't. And, you know, like Willard said all year, a 40-point loss. He, was, he references the Michigan game all the time. A 40-point loss is the same as a two-point loss. So if you're going to believe that and say that, then you, it's kind of true. Like, it didn't really matter if Maryland lost by three in this game or they lost by 20. Like, a loss is a loss. It's They deserve credit for the resiliency they showed. But their offensive execution and offensive output was so bad. Um, once again, on the road, which has just been such a common theme because it's so different at home versus on the road, that it, that it led to a loss when Purdue played one of the worst offensive games they're going to play all year. Yeah, and I think I think it starts with Jameer. I think his resolve in, in the second half was certainly encouraging. Seven assists is a great sign. But to shoot, you know, four for 18 from the field – He's he's their clearly their best player at this point. We've we've decided that a long time ago, and it, it's proven true, um, especially in those home Big Ten games. You just you can't have a performance like that. I, I think one thing, Sam, with Jameer, over six from three. I know one of those was was the heave at the end of the game. I'd like to, you know, he's so effective attacking downhill, and his three point shooting has has seems to have taken a step back. I mean, he's Ofer's last 11 in the last two games against Purdue and Michigan from three, one for four against Iowa, one for five against Ohio State. Clearly in a little bit of a, a three-point shooting rut there. You know, attack downhill. Maybe, you know, he did make plays for his teammates with seven assists, but I think when we saw Don Carey, I, I, you know, it's reverted back a little bit in the past few games. But when he had that decent game, uh, two-game stretch, excuse me, against Ohio State, um, Rockers use four for eight. Um, it, it's it, it was good shots as opposed to just jacking up threes. And I'm not saying Jameer's doing that, but I think maybe the mid range jumper for him is so smooth. Like attacking the hoop is so smooth, and and the way Juju's been playing, you can attack the hoop, get him the ball more. I don't know. I think that's just uh, food for thought there. Um, and then with Dante, um, it, it 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 stinks with him because you feel like he's doing everything else a lot better. I mean, we were talking about it in that in that. Um, the last few games as well. I mean, his shooting is is really taking a step back and just his, his scoring ability from that beginning of the year. I mean, what he was two for nine against Purdue three for 11 against Michigan, but even against Michigan, it felt like he was doing, he was performing really well in other aspects of the game, eight boards, three assists, two steals put when push comes to shove, you're going to need some more scoring of him as well, because you, you've come to a point where you trust Jameer to be your best offensive player night in and night out. And he's proven that the Purdue night was certainly a, a down night. Um, but it, it's, you're going to need more of, of Dante as well. I think that's, that's something that's becoming non-negotiable at this point, just given the fact that he's playing 35 minutes per game, 38 minutes a game, 35, you're going to, you're going to need more scoring production from him because truth be, truth be told, that's, it's part of the game plan. Like you yeah. need him to score 10 plus every game. Yeah. Let me just talk about the offensive identity for a minute, because the formulas there uh, to win games and, and they're, they're, they do a much better job at home than on the road of it, because it's even harder to shoot on the road, but this team really struggles um, 
when it's on the road to find their offensive offensive identity. And what I mean by that is is they're not a good three three point shooting team. Whether like that's not really up for debate at this point. You know, we're, we're a ton of games into this thing, and I think they they have a bunch of good shooters. Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart were shooting the ball much better at the beginning of the year. We thought they might regress a little bit, but not to the extent they really have. But I think this team has good shooters, but for whatever reason, you know, this team is a bad shooting team from three point range. Like, and I get it. I get when people say like to beat some, to beat these teams, you have to shoot three balls. You have to at least attempt them. If you're only going, if you're only shooting twos and trying to get downhill, it makes the defensive coverage so much easier. So you have to at least attempt them and get, get those looks off. And I get that. And that's true. And Willard might want them to even shoot even more threes than they are. But the reality is, is when this team is shooting threes, the offense is much, much worse. They are their offensive identity is attacking, getting downhill, and breaking shoulders with defenders, and that starts with Jameer Young because he's done a job of it. And when they get downhill and get to the rim, defenses have to converge, and it creates open looks from three. And that's when you get more high quality looks. When they're shooting bad threes and shooting a lot of them, this team's offense is just not productive. It's not efficient, and it's really easy to guard. And that's what they reverted back to on the road. Let me just give you these numbers real quick. Maryland's played two conference home games, and you you saw this because I wrote it, but Maryland played two conference home games home games since 2023, since the New Year flipped, um, and four conference road games. And it's four road games. It's averaged 21 three-point attempts per game, and it's averaging 54.5 points per game. And it's two home games. Maryland shot 14 threes per game. That's seven less three-point attempts, and averaged 72 points. Um, do the math real quick. That's not a math major, but that's 17 and a half more points per game, shooting way less threes. It's just like, it, it doesn't really follow logical math because three is better than two. But when you're as bad as a shooting team as Maryland is, you have to limit your three-point attempts. And even that's more so on the road. Like maybe shoot more threes at home because the splits for this team shooting-wise are on the road and on the home are pretty evident. They're a better shooting team at home than on the road. But at the same time, like you just you need to limit your threes to have offensive success. And when they get on the road, they maybe they're rattled, maybe they're nervous to open the game, but they're just chucking up threes and getting poor quality looks, and it's leading to really ugly offense. And that's what we saw against Purdue for much of that game, especially in the first half. And and it's just they can't lose that offensive identity on the road of getting downhill, attacking the basket, and creating open looks through that instead of just jacking up a ton of threes. Like this team should not be shooting. This team really should not be shooting more than like 16, 17 threes a game. Yeah, I'm happy you you brought up those numbers. Those are really, really staggering numbers. Um, I I wonder if with maybe Purdue, just because of Edie, the game plan was a little bit different in that regard, just because you're you're not going to go inside and beat him every time. But I think the at least the three games, and you can count Purdue there too, the sample size is certainly big enough to know that there's, you know, these quote unquote bad trends or, or bad habits that that we're seeing um, this, this team have on the road compared to home. And I, I, look, Dante Scott took five threes against Purdue. He took two against Michigan at home, four against Ohio State at home, but those are better looks. He was two for four um, in that game. It's, I think, with Don Carey, you've seen it a little bit as well. Um, what was he, one for six from three against Purdue? Only took three, three, three threes against Michigan, excuse me, and two against Ohio State. He took four at Iowa, eight at Rutgers, and eight at Michigan. It's it's reflected in, in all these players too. It's not like someone one guy's taking like, you know, twenty threes per game on the road and and only you know one or two at home. It, it's it's concerning and and the numbers certainly prove it. 
And we've been talking about this identity, I think, since the beginning of the year, the over-reliance on, on three-pointers. Um, it was, you know, it's been in your articles, it's been in my articles, it's been on this podcast weeks and weeks. It's it's a great point you bring up. It's something that I think the staff's got to be aware of at this point. The team's got to be aware of at this point. They, I don't, I don't know if it's it's if it's a subconscious thing that that triggers in when they're on the road and they, they they're taking more threes. I don't know, but the, the trends certainly indicate that. Um, and and I'm happy you brought it up because those those numbers certainly prove it's concerning. Yeah, and Willard said after the Michigan game, he said that like it worked the coaching staff and and he's emphasizing to get downhill. Um, and kind of just that that should be the emphasis offensively is to get downhill and attack the basket. He said they only shot 15 threes against Michigan, which I thought was a good number. He said he wanted them to shoot even more threes than that. I would say I would say that's a good number. But uh, I get that, you know, to beat some of these great teams, you like a, like a Purdue team to pull off that upset, you're going to have to have a great three point shooting night. The reality is like maybe they'll have a, a great three point shooting night one in the next like six games. But like the reality is this is a bad three point shooting team. Like there, there's really no other way. Um to, to spin it because they're the second worst three-point shooting percentage in the entire Big Ten. And yes, they have great shooters and Don Carey's supposed to be a sniper, but he's having a cold season and that happens to great shooters sometimes. And between the entire roster, it's just not a great point th- shooting bunch. Um, so that's kind of what happens. Real quick, we didn't, we actually hadn't been on air since the Michigan game. So we're not going to do a, a whole breakdown of that one. But is there anything else you want to uh, talk about in the Purdue game? Um, no, I think I think we kind of touched on it all. Juju, love to see that moving forward. The three point shooting certainly a concern. Um, well, I one think one I... more. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I was okay. gonna say. I was gonna say. I think we we do need to talk briefly about the officiating in that game. Oh yes, yes. Um, I think I think the Terps did get gypped a little bit. Um, I know Matt Painter said after the game that. Um, you know, he feels he feels bad for Edie because he's getting fouled and they're not calling it. Blah blah blah. Like. There were some really, really blatant errors. Um, like there was there was a foul on, on Edie that they were reviewing for a flagrant on the floor. They called it a common foul on Edie, and they reversed it to a foul on Dante Scott and nothing on Edie. I didn't even know you could do that in the rule book. I'm pretty sure you have to stick with the, the call on the floor if it's a common foul and not reverse it. Um, the out-of-bounds call towards the end of the game, um, I think everyone here knows knows what I'm talking about, but the 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 ball did not bounce out of bounds. Ethan Morton tried to save it on Purdue, and he was clearly out of bounds. And the ref somehow gave it a, to Purdue. I think those were two that stuck out. I think there were some really bad touch fouls on Ian Martinez, who came in the game and, and was playing well. And they called back to back, in the words of, of Bill Rathery, Bill Rathery, excuse me, uh, nickel dimers, uh, those touch fouls. I think, you know, there, there was a lot left to be desired by the officials in that game. Um, and it, it just felt like Maryland got the wrong end of the whistle. And I'm, I'm usually not like a ref's ref stink like ref screwed him guy like that but it no it certainly felt like it a little bit um, objectively objectively it was a horribly officiated game it just it just was um and that's not saying for either side i thought both sides really it was just a horribly officiated game the refs had no control over that game it was a point in the second half like a four or five minute stretch where they completely took over the game the refs and like you got to understand this is not a ref show. Like nobody is paying, paying to watch the refs um, or watching, tuning in to watch the refs blow the whistle in times. And it got to a point where they were, they were calling stuff and it was the wrong call. And it was so obvious and blatant. It was the wrong call that they would call a makeup one the next time. And then they were just going back and forth. What seemed like makeup calls, just dumb calls. It was a horribly officiated game. Willard, um, obviously he knows that I'm sure watching back the tape from that game, he it's even more evident to him. But I do kind of agree uh, with Painter in the sense, and obviously he's going to stand up for his guy, Zach Eady. 
I do kind of agree that like, and whether it's right or wrong, but Edie does get a little bit of that Shaq treatment where it's like, and even LeBron at, at certain points gets it as well, where it's like, you, you can't really guard him without fouling him. Like you can't really guard Zach Edie without fouling him. It's really difficult just how tall he is. You're almost always going to have some type of contact. It's just how much are you going to, are you going to call it? So I do think he gets a little bit of that Shaq treatment where he, he is getting fouled and other guys may typically get that call, but he isn't because he's almost getting fouled every time he's banging down low there. Um, so, so I get that. I get why that would be frustrating for him, for Purdue's coaching staff, but I do think it was a horribly officiated game, both sides. I do think Maryland, Maryland got the wrong end of it for the most part, but that's what happens in the big 10. Sometimes it's it, a home whistle is a real thing. Um, and, and refs play into the crowd and it kind of felt like that against Purdue. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in this game real quick before we quick briefly go to Michigan was the final play call. Um, Maryland's up three with, I forget exactly how many seconds left, but only a few seconds left. Maryland's, Purdue up three. Yeah, yeah. Excuse excuse me. Purdue, Purdue's up three. Uh, Maryland's ball. Um, they draw up a play. Beautiful play that Willard and his staff uh, drew up. Kind of uh, fake action up top where you thought the ball might go to um uh, to – to some side action, some kind of just, I guess, fake action, however you call it, up top where you thought the ball might go there. Don Carey sprints to the corner, a, a brilliantly drawn up play. The only question was, uh, should have been drawn up for Don Carey, who was one for, six, one for five for three at that point and just has been really bad from three all season, especially on the road. So, you know, kind of questionable drawing that play up for Don Carey. Of course, he gets open. It's a great look. He kicks his leg out a little bit, which was questionable because there really wasn't a whole lot of contest. He was pretty much open for the most part, and he just airballs the three, and that kind of uh, sealed the game from there. But that was that was the opportunity to send the game to overtime. It was a great play design. Um, I'd have to watch it again to, to know exactly what happened, but I remember thinking this is a play, great play design, but the only question was why exactly would you draw it up for Don Carey? Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's just a, a confidence thing at at that point, and you know Willard has has said over and over again how they'll continue to have confidence in in carry and and you know he had a good stretch early in January, but it, like you said, Sam, cold season for him, um, and that shot wasn't even close. Um, did kick his legs out a little bit, which was a dangerous move on his part. Um, could have gotten charged for the offensive foul even if he made that. Um. I don't know. Um, I, I, who, who else would you have drawn it up for? Um, Hakeem, maybe. Hakeem, I, maybe like Jameer had really struggled from three, but I trust Jameer way more, especially in the clutch, in the clutch. three than Don Carey. You saw him hit a huge one against Illinois. He had some big ones against Michigan. That was at home though. Like Dante, I'd really draw it up for like any of those guys at this point from three. Even though they've all been struggling, really, Dante, Jameer, and Hakeem. Even Ian, probably not Ian Martinez off the bench, but those three guys, I would trust more. Um, from three in general, but especially in the clutch at that point, uh, then Don Carey, who, of course, has just been, it just hasn't been his season from three. Yeah, it, I'm happy you brought that one up as, uh, as well. So those are uh, those are two good points we touched on that uh, maybe weren't the themes of the games, but uh, I, I don't I don't think we would have gotten away without talking about the officiating and, and that play call because they they really could have tied it. It, it would have been interesting. Um. Yeah. All right. So. Let's briefly talk about the Michigan game. It was a great win for Maryland at home. I thought that was like a must win. I think we both agreed yep. that, that was a must win. I wasn't, I kind of think I, I think I had Michigan winning the game. And we both for me, 
you, yeah, we both did. Yeah. So for me, that was a must win, especially at home, given we knew they were going on the road to Purdue. Um, and that could have really spiraled things if they were two and six at this point, but they won that game at Michigan. They were three and five. The most impressive part for me is, you know, we, we, we've seen how good this team can be at home and how bad they've been on the road. But, for me, the most impressive part of that game was um, the game plan against Hunter Dickinson and, and how much effort they came out with after getting embarrassed and bullied the first time they played in Ann Arbor, where they lost by 35. This time they came out with a ton of effort, a ton of energy, intensity on both ends of the floor. Jameer Young was phenomenal. He, he led the way. Uh, Michigan threw a bunch of punches at them, but they did a great job on Hunter Dickinson. He finished with like 17 or 19 points still, um, but... It was it was the overall game that they had on him. Two of those were threes. They really didn't let him dominate inside the paint the way they did the first matchup. And a lot of that was because of the overall game plan where they were throwing doubles at him. We didn't see that. He was in single coverage a lot the first time they played in Ann Arbor. But this time they were throwing a ton of doubles at him. Michigan's supporting cast, again, isn't great. It's not a very good Michigan team at all. Probably won't even be in the tournament. And they, they made the supporting cast beat them, and they didn't. And Maryland's game plan, back-to-back games where Maryland's had great game plans, um, and they deserve credit for that. I and mean, it was a huge, very important Michigan win. No doubt. We both said it was a must win. I think for Dickinson, yes, he had, he had 19 points, but three of them were threes. And it, I, it, that total was not as high um, down the stretch as, as it finished at the end of the game. Um, it was a very important win. The game plan for Dickinson was awesome. I almost wonder if it was easier uh, to game plan for Dickinson and Edie back to back. Obviously, even though Dickinson is what seven one, Edie still got three inches and, and forty pounds on him. But back to back games for Maryland defensively, where you know even without Patrick Emilian for the totality of that Michigan game and the majority of um, the Purdue game, uh, very impressive in, in terms of limiting those guys. Uh, I mean, for Dickinson, I'd say limiting his production because th- he hit three threes. He only scored eight points inside the paint. Maybe one of those was, was a mid-range jumper, so maybe even less. But he four two-point field goals for him. And then for Edie, um, just the play of Juju and, and not letting him completely dominate there. So I think the way this team has dealt with big men in, in those two games is it's leaps and bounds better than what we saw against Michigan on uh, January one. Yeah, and Willard and his staff do deserve a ton of credit because this is a really undersized group. And the fact that, that you know, it's the year of the Big Ten in college basketball, but especially in the Big Ten, the fact that they've constructed good, solid, quality game plans, especially defensively, that have been executed well um, against two two straight games now against quality bigs. And we'll see it again against Wisconsin. You said, again, Indiana's coming up. Trace Jackson Davis, they're going to have to play Purdue again. I mean, it's just going to be almost every night in the Big Ten moving forward. And the fact that they've done a good job as an undersized group, even with Patrick Emelian not really in the lineup, played a little bit against Purdue, but not really, wasn't really healthy, didn't really give his normal minutes. Um, that, that, that's been very impressive. No doubt. And I think one one more thing for, for Michigan, just the play of uh, Calum Swanton Roger. I know he didn't play that second half, but. Oh, yeah, he definitely going, deserves a shout out. Going, going toe-to-toe with, with Dickinson there. And he even, dunked, first he put the layup in on him and then he dunked it all over him. I and mean, that was awesome. Yeah, um, and, then anyone's, and, then, and anyone's saying that wasn't a dunk, like. That, that's still that's still a poster and that's still getting dunked on. I don't care if it's not your primary defender. You come over and help and you're a second late. That's on you. You're still you still get dunked on. It doesn't matter. No doubt. And I think just one last thing with Callum. Um, you know, he's he's proved he can play in spurts in the Big Ten. Uh he proved it against Michigan. I think what he did against Purdue at picking up those two quick fouls, he only ended up playing what, six minutes and he was he was a minus fourteen. Um 
So I think those are just some of the growing pains um, that that we'll see with him there. But I think the fact that he was able to contribute like that against Michigan, um, he's able to play a little bit with a million out. It's it's better than what we expected from him at the beginning of the season where, you know, we didn't even know if he, we'd see him in uniform at all. So um, just just wanted to give him a quick shout out there and and, and a, a quick discussion on that front. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming week for Maryland tonight. They'll be playing Wisconsin on the excuse me at home. And this is a huge stretch for them because we've talked about how bad they've been on the road again. Oh, and five haven't won a Big Ten road game um, this season. But now they have a three game home stretch. Play Wisconsin. They lost two on the road, so they have they have a lot of film. I'm sure they'll have a get better game plan again, um, which is a more than winnable game. The line isn't out yet, but I believe um, because we are recording this a day early. But I oh, it's five. Uh, Maryland by five on Ken Palm. On Ken Palm, okay. So official line is not yet, but Ken Palm has Maryland by five. Maryland will surely be favored, and then they play Nebraska on Saturday. One of the worst teams in the Big Ten, but still not a. There's no walk. There's no easy game in the Big Ten, even though Nebraska is one of the worst teams. And they're playing an Indiana team that a couple weeks ago we might have thought might have been an easy win, but this Indiana team is looking really good. But let's start with this Wisconsin team, and then they're on the road at Minnesota, I should mention, um, which can't really play a better opponent to pick up your first uh, first road win than Minnesota, coming off of three straight home games, especially Minnesota is the worst team in the Big Ten, without a doubt. But let's talk about this Wisconsin team for a second. You know, these are two completely different teams um, that, than what we saw when, when they saw each other back in early-ish December. Maryland was undefeated at the time, and Wisconsin was Maryland's first loss. Maryland was 8-0 going into that game. It was their first loss. They got off to a really slow start, stormed back. But again, it was really difficult containing Wisconsin's bigs. What do you see kind of as some keys uh, to Maryland beating Wisconsin this time around? Yeah, I mean, Willard said his man, Stephen Crow. I mean, he's, he's he calls all his favorite players around the conference his man. I do I do like that. But um, Stephen Crow's been playing really well for Wisconsin. That that big guy. He's seven foot two forty five. Not as you know, he's not the typical like Zach Eady type big, but where but he's more a little bit like Dickinson, where he can extend you from three. He takes it. I mean, three, three, two, three, seven. His last five games from three in terms of attempts. So certainly not afraid to launch it there. That's going to be another key. Um, and we'll see. I think I think going against Dickinson and Edie back-to-back will help you kind of prepare for a guy like Crawl, who all three are different in their own right, but they're still much bigger than than your guys, and, and you're going to learn um, how to get better with that as well as time flies. I think a key there uh, with Crowell, because he is a guy who can extend the floor, um, while Juju was physical, didn't have his best game against Michigan. He, he he was physical, stayed on the floor against Dickinson. He needs to get better at extending. Um, I think that's the one thing defensively for him, extending on the perimeter when guys against him can shoot. Um, it feels like Dickinson had some wide open threes that he converted on. Um, with Crawl, it's going to be the same threat. And in, in a close game, you never know what can be the difference there. Um, and then I think, you know, protecting home court, obviously Maryland's going to be favored. That's, that's going to be a big thing. Tyler Wall, back from injury, um, playing well. Uh, 10 against Penn State, 11 against Northwestern last night. He's obviously, or Monday night, excuse me. He's obviously the guy you got to contain there um, for Maryland. So I'd say um, those are probably the two biggest keys that stick out to me right away. And and I guess just from a general standpoint, we always talk about this at home. You got to get out to a fast start because yes, Maryland came back and took the lead in Madison, but they dug themselves in, in, in a pretty big hole. And regardless of even if even if you come back and, yes, they were trailing by two at half, they had a chance to win down the stretch. If you dig yourself in that hole early to start, 
you're automatically putting yourself in a tough position to come back and sustain winning basketball and win the game. Um, so we'll see there. Just just looking at this box score um, from the first game, Jameer had 17, Juju had 10. Um, he had four fouls, though. Uh, Don Carey fouled out. or Yeah, Don Carey fouled out of that game. I, I don't know. I, I think that was – you can't really take too much away from that game and compare it to this one, just given the fact yeah. that it was December 6th and this game's January 25th. Um, a lot has changed since then. That was Maryland's first loss. It almost just felt like, okay, they lost for the first time. Let's see how they perform uh, moving forward. But we'll see. I think I think Crawl's obviously a big factor. Anytime you have a big guy that you're going against that's bigger than Juju and bigger than your front court, it, it's something to watch, especially one that can extend the floor. And then, of course, Tyler Wall, one of the, the best players in the Big Ten as well. He can, he can hurt you on the post and, and all around the floor as well. Yeah, well, um, I agree your point about you can't really look too much into – that last game, um, very two very different teams, uh, since since then, and Maryland was like kind of a, it, they were in a very different spot at that point where it was like that kind of almost felt like a scheduled loss. They were eight and zero, first time going in on the road in the Big Ten, first or second Big Ten game, first road Big Ten game, and they struggled. But the the big key is going to be getting off to a faster start. Um, then then what we saw from Maryland that first time around against Wisconsin and we we've seen from a lot of teams they've played mostly on the road but just in general in the Big 10 this year um you got to get off to a good start you got to get the home crowd and the home energy going it should be a great environment Michigan ended up being a better environment than I think we thought and a lot of people uh might have thought I think this Wisconsin th- uh team is going to be similar or this Wisconsin game is going to be similar this Wisconsin team I think is better than Maryland I really like them um you talk about crowd and um and um Oh my god, why I'm blanking on his Tyler name Wall. right now. And Wall, yeah, of course. <laughs> Tyler Wall. Um, but this team is great shooting too. Um, like Chucky Chuck Chucky Hepburn is a great shooter. And like they have the ability to pound it inside, but also spread the floor. And if they're making open shots from deep or at least attempting a ton of them and getting high quality looks, Wisconsin can beat you from a lot of different ways. And it's kind of like it's weird to look at their schedule and the way the way it's gone. They struggled a bit, they hit. Hit a little bit of a spur. They lost to Illinois with Michigan State, which was a really close one. Michigan State might be the second best team in the Big Ten. And then they got blown out by Indiana on the road. Um, An Indiana team looks much better. Then they beat a close win against Penn State. And most recently, they're off a loss to to Northwestern, which is interesting because that that was Wisconsin's last game that they played on Monday night. But it wasn't supposed to be on Monday night. It was supposed to be a couple days earlier, but it was postponed because Northwestern had some COVID issues. So that's... Uh, Wisconsin's last game they played, and it was at Northwestern. Now they're going from Northwestern. I don't know if they went back home first, but they're going from Northwestern to College Park and another road game against Maryland. And it's tough to be on the road like that. So that kind of favors Maryland in that way. So I think this is a really tough game to predict because I think Wisconsin's the more complete team and just the physicality that they show defensively, plus um, just how they can pound it inside and, and still also beat you from the perimeter with the three-point shooting. So I think this is a really tough game to kind of predict. I do think Maryland's going to win just because they've been much so much better at home. But I still think Wisconsin's the better team, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, um, yeah, the Midwest is all close together. And, and Madison's probably not that far from Evanston, Illinois, where Northwestern plays. But Maryland caught a big break here. Like Wisconsin's playing two road games in three days and three of their last four uh, road games uh, dating back to January 14th. So Maryland certainly catches a break in, in that regard. Um, Chucky Hepburn, definitely a guy to look out for. Like you said, their point guard, I think 
Um, the Chucky name uh, shouldn't be uh, taken lightly. He's not afraid to chuck it um, from deep. He's taken 25% of their shots. How's it going? Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, he's not afraid to, you know, he's taken 25% of their shots in conference play. Um, yes. Uh, Monday against Northwestern, he took 18 shots, hit four of them. So he's, he's certainly whole, he's a guy who'll have the green light, uh, whether he's on or off. I think if, if he's on, on the road, um, that could certainly be a dangerous element thrown into the game there. Um, Wisconsin takes really good care of the ball. 13.8% turnover percentage is the second best in the entire country. Um, and- and Maryland's just a real quick point. Maryland's done a great job of creating turnovers and getting to their press yeah. recently. When they were making that run against Purdue, they were playing really, really fast. They were getting their press, giving Purdue some problems with their press and creating turnovers off that, which was leading to some fast break points, which has been really key for Maryland when they're playing well. Yeah, it, I, it, and like like we've always said, you, you got to have a dead ball to really set up that press and Maryland able to score in the second half. Purdue was really thrown off by the press, I, I think. They have, there's one 10 second violation, nearly a couple of others, and they just looked out of sync. Um, it, that's I think that goes hand in hand with what we're saying about the fast start too, Sam. Like, if Maryland goes up four nothing and and Jameer Young gets the hoop for two early buckets and you're able to set up your press right away, it just it changes the tone. It, it changes what the game looks like, and and really you'll be able to dictate it from uh, you know start to finish. And Willard said after they they scored the first five points against Michigan, after they scored five points against Michigan, he's like, all right, we won the game. Like he told the staff they won the game. So um, I think that this team feels very comfortable at home. If they're able to get off to a fast start and kind of implement their game instead of Wisconsin's and you're pressing all the time, I, I think they're going to be in really good shape. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Just I also think this is a, like a challenging stretch for Wisconsin. You know, they're, they're two and three in road games and true road games this season. It's just tough. It's tough to win on the road in this conference. And, you know, Maryland's key to making the tournament down the stretch of the season is taking care of home court advantage. Um, I think that that's really important in this game. I see this as a huge indicator of Maryland's success moving forward and whether they're going to make um, make the tournament or not. If they lose this game, you know, you have a Nebraska team coming in on the road, uh, Nebraska team coming in that you're playing at home, which you presume is a win. But then you have a really difficult game against Indiana um, and then you're back on the road and you have an easy schedule as the game goes on. But Maryland loses this game. They move to three and six in the, in the Big Ten. And we know they need to get to 500. Um, that's the number we think 500 in the Big Ten, which would be 10 and 10 to make the tournament. It's there's it's a trickier path if they lose this Wisconsin game to get to at 500, if they win this Wisconsin game, I think the path is very easy to get to 500. Um, given that they play Nebraska twice, um, Minnesota, Penn state twice, um, Northwestern will be in there. So I think there's the path is much clearer. If you can win this game against Wisconsin at home and continue to take care of home court advantage, which is really all they have to do um, to make the tournament moving forward. But this Wisconsin team is good. Like, and, and this may be a hungrier Wisconsin team because they're off a loss. It may be difficult because of how much they've been traveling and coming off a weird game against Northwestern where they lost on the road then coming on the road again to College Park. It's a really tough game to predict. But I do think Wisconsin's the better team. Like I said earlier, I don't know if that's going to translate to a win. I think Maryland scores early and often in a way we haven't seen and they can get into the press, um, speed Wisconsin up, match their physicality at home, uh, because Wisconsin's a physical team, especially rebounding the ball. Um, and Maryland needs to do a better job rebounding the ball because they they lost the rebounding differential by ten to Purdue, which is actually better than pe- might, people might have yeah. thought. But still, it was a few of those offensive rebounds that Purdue kept getting. Um, definitely led to some easy buckets for them. But that's going to happen against Zach Eady. 
I, this is a tough game for me to predict. I'm kind of stalling here as I think of a of a prediction in my mind. Um, I'm going to go Maryland wins a really close one, um, 69 to 65. I like that. I think Maryland wins this game as well. Um, I, I don't know if Wisconsin's the better team right now, given their struggles as well, four or five. I think these teams are probably pretty even um, when you look at it. And I think the first game was pretty even, all things considered. I think this is a game Maryland wins at home. Couple more threes fall than they did at Purdue. Maybe I think if if Maryland can hit five threes, they might win this game. Given given if if they're able to get into their their identity and press, you know, and and, and the shot selection is maybe you're going five for thirteen from three instead of going five for twenty five, like we've talked about. Um, I think Maryland contains Tyler Wall and Stephen Corral. I think Juju takes another step forward, but stays in the game, has another good defensive game and offensively, um, just just keeping physical with with, with you know really tough opposing bigs in the Big Ten. I think Maryland's going to win this game by seven. Um, I'm going to go Maryland sixty eight, Wisconsin sixty one. Final score. I think it's good. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think at times this game's going to look ugly though, because Wisconsin, <laughs> excuse me, is a really good defensive team as is maryland at home um and wisconsin likes to muck it up I and mean, we saw it we saw it in madison yeah. um i wouldn't be surprised if it looks like and, that and, again and maryland's good at defending the three ball and wisconsin's a pretty good three-point shooting team they like to attempt them i like that prediction you know i i do think these teams are very even the only reason i would give the slight edge to wisconsin even though they're struggling a little bit um as the better team even though i don't think they're going to win this game is just because of their their offensive talent that they have um it's just way more proven than maryland's who's been really consistent the only the only like indicator i can have for some of these big 10 games is home versus road record because like sometimes you don't know which team is going to show up and these teams are so even like wisconsin like we're, when indiana comes to ta- comes to town even though they're playing well like i don't know what team is going to show up for Indiana or Maryland when Maryland's playing Penn state in a couple of weeks. Like those are two very even teams as well. It's really hard to, to kind of um, analyze these matchups because you don't know which team's going to show up on a night to night basis, but you do know Maryland's been much better at home than on the road. They're back at home. Wisconsin's off a wonky travel schedule with a couple road games and two road games in three days um, from Chicago now to Maryland. You know, it's 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 weird. It's that that does not favor Wisconsin at all. So that's why I'm that's why I'm predicting picking Maryland to win the game. But you really never know which team is going to show up. But I do think it's a huge indicator moving forward. And if Maryland can can win this game, they're they're in a pretty good spot to make the tournament. I would agree. I think just given the way the schedule looks at it, look, it, it's similar to the Michigan game. I think in terms of both teams kind of view it as a can't lose slash must win and the home team's probably a little bit more desperate, but Wisconsin's now trending a little bit towards the bubble as well. Um, but I mean, let's just, let's talk about a little bit big picture now, a couple weeks ahead. I mean, now that we're here, I mean, we think we both think they're going to win beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Predict sure. the next, I guess, give me the record of the next five games. I have what I think it'll be next five games. Oof. It's Wisconsin, Nebraska, uh, Indiana, yep. all at home. And then on the road at Minnesota, on the road at Michigan State. Well, I'll I'll start with the next four. I think if you're Maryland, you're going to be one favorite in all those games, and you got to feel you got to you have you you feel like you know if you win all four of those games, which I'm not sure will happen. If Maryland beats Wisconsin, beats Nebraska, beats Indiana, and beats Minnesota all in a row, like they've they've suddenly gone from a team that's struggling because. Look, narratives change so quickly in college basketball. If, if they're if they're fi- they're favored in their next four games, if they go four and zero in that stretch, which I I don't think that'll happen, but 
then you're 16 and seven and seven and five in the Big Ten, and it's just a completely different discussion. Um, and and, uh, and at, then, at that point, and then you're... there's, and that's why I think this Wisconsin game is so important because they have a chance to go four and zero in that stretch if they, um, if they can take care of this Wisconsin game over the next five games. I think the record is going to be three and two. I think they beat Wisconsin, beat Nebraska. I think they lose to Indiana at home, first home loss. Then they get their first road win going at Minnesota. And then I don't think they're on the same caliber as Michigan State at this point. Um, and that would be in Michigan State in East Lansing. So I think that's a loss for Maryland. So I, I have them going three over three and two of the next five games, which would put them one game under 500 um, in the Big Ten at that point. And then... Once you just, we're getting really ahead of ourselves here, but once you look at the schedule from there, they play Penn State twice. Um, they'll play Nebraska. They'll play Minnesota. They'll play Northwestern. And then they'll play Ohio State and um, and Purdue, which are two two L's in, in my mind, because it would be even, even if Purdue's at home, that's probably a loss. And then you play Ohio State on the road when you beat them at home earlier this year. But it really opens up from there if they can go three and two um, at the minimum in this stretch. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get greedy here, and but and I I'm not going to be the guy to predict they they win four straight. But I don't know, Sam. I think they lose that game to Michigan State. I think they beat Wisconsin at home. I think they beat Nebraska at home, and I think they'll beat Minnesota on the road. I think that Indiana game is is really going to be a toss up. I. I Indiana's certainly, I think, the more talented team. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Race Thompson, I mean, Xavier Johnson, excuse me, has been out. Um, as Race Thompson has returned, he played four minutes against Michigan State, so he's still dealing with a little bit of injury there as well. Those are those are two big players. I I did, I'd expect um, at least uh, Race Thompson, if he went back in for that game, to probably be a little bit more healthy by by January thirty first, a week from. Uh, the date of this recording, I don't know. I I I, I want to be optimistic and and say four and one. I I think three and two. I'm not sure which the which game they're going to lose. Um, out of Indiana, and I mean they shouldn't lose at Minnesota, but um, yeah. I mean it all starts with beating Wisconsin, though, which we both yeah. think will happen, but it's no by no means a gimmick. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't I'm not sure. I think I think if they beat Wisconsin and you beat Nebraska. Then all of a sudden you've won two out of your first three at home. You got a lot of confidence and momentum rolling into Indiana three days later at home. I'm sure the building would be absolutely rocking for that one. Yeah. Um, I don't and know. I mean, I don't, yeah. the, the schedule like opens up like the path to get to 500 in the conference is really, it's really we, open. We talked re- about it. It's, yeah. it's completely open. But at the same time, like, Sweeping Nebraska, who you play twice this year, is no easy task. No. Like that will not be easy, even though they're one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. Of course, it's a really deep conference. And today I should mention Joe Lenardi and his bracketology had eleven teams from the Big Ten in the tournament, which is just insane. Like how mediocre, I think, or how like average, maybe even above average the conference is, but there's so it's so deep because there's so many good but good teams, but no one really that great, except you could say maybe Purdue and maybe Michigan State. But it's it's just it's it's tough when you if when you have eleven teams that are projected to make the tournament where there's no gimmies night in and night out, and then of course they play Northwestern who's playing really good basketball. That's kind of a toss up. You do expect to beat Minnesota or sweep Minnesota. You know if you're splitting with Minnesota, that could kind of create some issues. And if you sweep against Penn State, that's a huge success. But you kind of ex- expect a split there because Penn State's pretty good and 
right now, I in Joe Lenardi's, I think they were the 11th team to be in. They were the last four in um, in the tournament. So they're going to be on the bubble too, especially um, they play them the last game of the season at Penn State. Um, you know, it's not like it's 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 a hard place to play necessarily, but Maryland has struggled historically um, playing on the road there. So the path is there to get the 500, but it all starts with this Wisconsin game, which is which is huge. No doubt. Um, the narrative can certainly change um, these next two weeks, um, but we'll see. I, I, I do think I'm pretty confident Maryland beats Wisconsin. Though. I'll go. I'll go on the record saying that, um, and I think they'll beat Nebraska as well. I'm not going to make a prediction for this this Indiana game yet. I'll I'll, I'll uh, my heart my heart my head's telling me win at home, and then I, I guess I don't know. I'm, I'm, I I might be crazy. I I think I'm predicting. No, three and two in that stretch. I'm not going to say how it happens, but they're they're going they're going three and two in that next five game stretch. Right, yeah. it's, it's tough. It's tough to decide right now. I got to see how they look against uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, so so I guess we agree on that over the next five game stretch. But it starts against Wisconsin tomorrow night. Um, they'll be playing Wisconsin on Wednesday night tonight. Or excuse me, tonight. Um, uh, they'll be playing Wisconsin. Then they'll be playing Nebraska 4:30 p.m. on Saturday, and then Tuesday they're playing Indiana. I'm not sure if we'll talk to you guys before. Um, that Indiana game, we might be switching up the day this is recording, but of course we'll we'll keep you in the loop on that. But um, there may be three games, there might be a lot to talk about um, by the time we talk to you guys next. But as always, thanks for listening to everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.